blessing that is. So we're in John chapter 4 this morning. And um, I uh, wanted to, uh, the Lord just really directed my heart as I was preparing and praying uh, for this message today. And uh, just some thoughts that I think are very important for us in our spiritual life and our walk uh, with our Lord and Savior. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about 2 Peter chapter number 1, there in verse number 5, where Peter writes, he says that we are to give all diligence to add to our faith. First thing, do you all know what the first thing is? It's virtue. The first thing is virtue, he mentions there. And then he begins to go down this list and he, he speaks secondly of knowledge. How many of you believe that knowledge is important? Knowing the word of God is important. About five of you believe that. Thank you. All right. Knowledge is very important for the believer. We have God's word. And so we should get in it and we should grow and we should know more about who God is and, and his word. But it begins, it begins with virtue. And that speaks of a moral excellence. That, that speaks with a desire to do right. A desire, think of it like this. What are you going to do with what you learn? What are you going to do with it? Uh, it's not for us just to learn and gain knowledge and become prideful about it. Paul warns us of that. It's very easy to be zealous, but not have a desire to do the right thing with it. Uh, lots of times we become, uh, we, we're so concentrated on knowledge and understanding and growing that we take that pride and we're very quick, um, we're very quick to take the two-edged sword and use it to cut people up rather than minister to them and heal them with it. Can I get amen there? Um, and so what are we going to do with what we are learning? Uh, that's, that speaks of virtue. So there should always be a desire in our heart. Listen, I, I want to grow. I, I want to understand more of the Bible. I, I want my knowledge to increase. I want to know more about God, what God has in store for us. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've been looking at the last couple of weeks on the rapture of the church, as well as the tribulation, the end times, the day of the Lord. Uh, we've been looking at that, and, and that really in, in increases our understanding. But what are we going to do with what we learned? And I think that we see a great example of that, of what in Jesus' conversation here with a Samaritan woman. And there's a lot of different angles that we could look at this message and, and preach about, but I want us to look at through what Jesus teaches us, through his conversation that he has uh, with, this, with this woman who is obviously a sinner, but so are all of us. Amen? Uh, it is very easy to look at someone's sin and say, wow, they are a sinner. Well, so are you, and so am I, right? Sometimes our sin may look different, but we're all, we all fall short of God. And uh, we all stand in need of a Savior. Well, this, this woman, she, she has a bad reputation, you might say, um, throughout her community. Uh, it's not that you might say, obviously she does. 
Uh, she has a bad reputation. Uh, she knows about God. She speaks of worshiping God, but she doesn't know. She, she, there's a lot of things for her to learn that we discover in this passage. And what, what can we learn from that? Well, there's three things that I want to highlight this morning. I'll just go ahead and give you the main points. That is for us to love abundantly, verses 4 through 18, to worship passionately, verses 19 through 24. And he wraps up this lesson teaching us to, be, uh, to witness boldly. So I, I want us to look, first of all, at the first point, and that is to love abundantly. Love abundantly. And there's some things that we see here. Now, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. He had a conversation with Nicodemus. And uh, then we see that there's some baptizing going on in, in verses 22 and, and uh, verses 23. And then there's a, a conversation that those have with John the Baptist concerning his disciples. And, and uh, John speaks in verse three of chapter three, or verse 30 of chapter 3, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then we get to chapter 4, the Jesus, he, he knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. He's drawing attention to himself and he, he leaves Judea and he departs again into Galilee. So he's heading north through Israel and uh, he, he makes a point. It says in verse number 4, the Bible says that he must needs go through Samaria. And that was a decision that he had made. Obviously, the disciples would choose to go elsewhere. Every Jew would decide to go around the area of Samaria to get to Galilee. But that was not Jesus. And the reason for that is Jesus is teaching us here, first of all, that love requires effort. Love requires effort, we see here. He must needs go through Samaria. There is a reason for him to go. Now, we all understand this. God is an all-knowing God. Amen? He already knows, what, uh, he already knows who we're going to meet at lunch. He already knows what we're going to face today. We understand that, okay? So we take that. So Jesus knows exactly where he's going and why he's going. He has a divine appointment set aside, set up for this woman that he's going to meet at the well. But the point that I want to make today for you and I is this. We don't know everything. We, we don't know who we're going to meet and what's going to happen when we get there. We don't know that. But for us to love people, for us to love individuals, it is going to require some effort. It's going to require effort. We, we've got to have a reason why we're going to do the things that we're going to do. All of us would say amen to this. It is very easy to love those who love you. Very easy. And it's very easy to love those people who are closest to you. Or perhaps you might say those who are very similar to you. But what about those who are different? Than you, those who are different than me, those whose testimony looks completely, it's not the same. Those individuals who are look different, talk different, act, behave different, are always caught in different places. 
Does the Bible tell us to love all people? Of course it does. All right, this is going to be a long sermon if you don't wake up and join me in this. Am I preaching to the... It is good to have Ben back. Does God want us to learn how to love all men? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you do what? Love one another. Understand that. We are called to love individuals. For us to do that, it's going to require some effort on our part. We're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a point of this. Well, maybe they don't, maybe in your mind, they don't listen to you. They don't agree with you. Maybe they don't know about your God. And maybe they don't know about Jesus. And maybe they don't like church. And if you invite them to church, they're going to be upset about that. Even if they're upset about that, does it give us an excuse not to love them? No, so we have to make a decision. We have to put forth an effort. Jesus made it a point, okay? Let's just say, yes, we, we take it. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows he's about who he's about to meet. But let's just put it in our terms. I'm going to have to make a decision to put myself in a place, to put myself in an opportunity to love someone who may not, one, may not know what love is, or two, may not expect love from me. I've got to make that decision already in advance. He must needs go to Samaria. He knew I had to do this. The disciples were surprised that he wanted to go through Samaria. When they show up later, they're thinking, why is he talking to this woman? They're, they're questioning amongst themselves why Jesus is even having a conversation with this woman. Well, because Jesus, he put forth the effort. Notice in verse number 6, it says that when he got to the well, what does it say about revealing his humanity? It says that he was wearied, right? He was wearied. Now, there are times where you and I were busy or we're too tired and we think, I just don't have time for this. I give you a God who's always got time. Amen? He's always got time. Yes, he's weary. That's his humanity. He has been walking quite a ways. And he's weary and he's tired. And we often give the excuse, every one of us, including myself, we give the excuse that I'm busy, I'm too tired. And, and really what we're saying is I don't have time or the energy to love people right now. He was wearied. He sat down, and the Bible says there in verse number 6, it was the sixth hour. What time is that? That's noon. It is noon. It is noon. He is there at noon. Most of the women, when they came to got their water, they come in the cool of the day. This woman, she can't do that because she is not loved. She is a sinner she is talked about, she is rejected and refused. It is easier for her to go at a time of day where no one is around so that it keeps her from that ridicule. That's among her own people, the Samaritans. That, we're not talking about Jews. That is her people. Even her people say, you're not right. 
And here is Jesus sitting at the well, wearied in his flesh, but he's waiting for this woman to come along because love requires effort. It requires effort in your marriage. It requires effort in your, at times it requires great effort with your children. It requires effort with your coworkers, your, your fellow church uh, laborers. It requires effort at all times. Jesus made a point to, to be there when she was to come along. Then we see that love is not prejudiced. Love is not prejudiced. Look in verse number, let's just read verse 7. He says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. They are, they are, they are gone. It's just Jesus there by himself. In verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Her first thought is, why are you speaking to me? Why, why are you asking me for a drink? Because I recognize who you are. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a lowly Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with one another. Well, Jesus Christ came to break down that barrier. Again, wake up. Jesus Christ came down to break down that barrier. Amen? I don't know if you've ever been prejudiced against. Where someone looks at you and they don't want anything to do with you. It may be the color of your skin. It may be your lifestyle. It could be, it could be the sin in your life. But suddenly someone wants nothing to do with you. I'm going to just say this. I'm just going to be honest and say it, it happens in churches all the time. It happens in churches, it happens in good churches all the time. There'll be this sense of prejudice because you're not in my group. You're not in my circle of friends. Jesus came to break down all walls and barriers. He came to die for the sin of the world. Amen? He came that whosoever might believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. She immediately reacts. Why are you even talking to me? Your people never has anything to do with me. And the truth is her people never has anything to do with his people. There is a prejudice on both sides. But Jesus made a point and went out of his way to be at that particular place at that particular time. Why? Because she needed to experience the love of God. Because she was not getting in this world. Why, why perhaps, I don't know exactly why she, uh, the Bible speaks of her sin. Jesus is going to break up her sin in just a moment. Why does she have five husbands and the man that she's living with now is not her husband? I don't know the exact reason, but perhaps this woman is looking for love. She is looking for the love and she is not finding it in people.
I want to grow in this area in my life. That I never look at an individual and I feel like turning the other direction and going the other way because they look different or act different than me. When do I get to be selective in who deserves to hear the word of God and who deserves to experience the love of God? I don't have that right. You see, next, that love not only requires effort and is not prejudiced, I want you to notice that it is compassionate, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now Jesus can say that. Jesus can say that. Art don't ever approach someone and say, well, if you knew who was asking you, then you would realize you should give it to me. Jesus can say that. You can't say that. I can't say that. God is love. Jesus is the greatest picture of God's love. And he says, woman, if you, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was that I'm the Christ, you wouldn't just ask me of water. You would ask me to give you the living water. In verse 11, the woman doesn't quite understand. She says to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which give us the well, and drank therefore himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus Answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of living, a water uh, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. The point of our love should not to be receive something. It should be to give something. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. It begins with giving of ourself. It begins with giving of our time, our effort, our energy. We're wearied. We, we've, we've made a point to be here at this particular time. We want to see you. We want to be with you. And it's not for, we're not here because we want to get something from you. That you have to, if you'll do what I'm asking you to do, then I will love you and I will be a friend to you. But if you reject me, then I'm just going to get mad at you. and I'm going to be upset with you and want nothing to do with you. That is not who Jesus was. Jesus is asking her for something, and she's saying, why are you asking me? And he says, you know, if you knew who I was, if you knew the love of God, if you knew why I was here, 
you would be asking me for a drink. And when he's done with her conversation, this is what she says, I want what you have to offer. I want what you have to offer. If you'll really think about it and consider this and and really just try to break it down, most of the times when we show love toward others, a lot of times it's because we have something we want to receive back. If you'll do this for me, then I will love you. Jesus is loving her when she can do nothing for him. It's com- that, that is compassion. I recognize your need. You don't, even, you don't even realize your need right now. Your need is much more than just getting that water and carrying it back to your home. That's what you see your need is. Your need is bigger than that. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm here to speak to you because I I know something that you need that is far beyond, far beyond what you could ever be trying to get for yourself. It's compassion. When the 5,000 had been following Jesus, the disciples said, send them away. Send them all away. They were tired. They were weary. Send them away. And Jesus looked at the crowd, and the Bible says that he had compassion on them. They were sheep without a shepherd. And he tells the disciples, no, you sit them all down. You sit them all down. He fed them. He gave them something from himself. That is love. Love abundantly. And then I want you to see this. Love love graciously. Loving graciously deals with sin, with reconciliation as the goal. Verse number 16. Jesus saying it. She says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may, that I, that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. She didn't lie to him. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. You're right. Jesus did not bring that up. Zach, Jesus did not bring that up to embarrass her. He did not bring that up to condemn her. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. He says, I came to save the world. 
I came to bring you out of that condemnation. So he's not bringing that up. He's, he's not saying, he's not bringing this up. You got, confess all your sins to me so that I can condemn you. You're already condemned. Every person that dies outside of Jesus Christ will suffer eternity in hell. It is what it is. That is the way it is. But he's showing grace there. He is saying, let's deal with this. Don't pretend it's not there. We're not going to move forward pretending as if it, that, that's not a reality. He's saying, you got to be honest with me. If you, want, if you want this living water, you have got to face reality and be honest before God. Because what we want to do is we want the experience, the love and blessing of God, but we also want to keep our sin. And Jesus is saying, no, no. What he is really after here is he's really after reconciling us back to God. We are separated from God because of our sin. And what he is after is he's showing grace, he's dealing with that. He is offering an a, a unprejudiced, a very compassionate love that he is showing to this woman that she has not experienced before. And he's saying, listen, you go get your husband. He knows exactly where she's at and he's not trying to condemn her for it. There is, there is the right thing to do, and that is standing against sin. We can all agree with that. But we often make the mistake in the process of condemning everyone in our path. And God showed us grace, and he showed us forgiveness, and we deserve, we need to be able to give others. Others deserve for us to show the same that we have been given. We live in a society today where both sides are always condemning the other because we don't agree with one another. That is the culture in which we live. And I, it's, it's always been that way. I get that. I get that. I think it's magnified in a lot of ways. We as believers, we, are, we should be the greatest examples of who Christ is. And we should be very, very quick to show love and compassion and grace for the purpose of not to prove that I am right, but to, but to show someone that despite, despite of themselves, in spite of their sin, just like me, in spite of me, God loves me and he wants to see me saved and he wants the same for those people. Jesus is teaching us that. How do we not follow in those footsteps? We must follow in those footsteps. I'm a lot better than I used to be in that area. But I got a long ways to go. I'm just being honest with you.
I want to be more like Jesus Christ. Love one another. I feel like I need to say this before I move on. As fellow believers, we need to love each other. We need to forgive each other. I feel like I need to say this. Don't be sitting there in that chair saying, well, I would love so-and-so if they would love me. It works both ways. It works both ways. If there is ever a coming together, it works both ways. Love abundantly, Jesus teaches us. That's my longest point. The second one is worship passionately. Worship passionately. Look what he says here in their conversation. She says in verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That was a big conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans had their own temple. They had their own form of worship. The Jews believed that the place of worship was in the temple in Jerusalem. Biblically, they were right. They They are biblically correct. She's saying, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say in Jerusalem, men ought to worship. And Jesus responds to this in verse 21. Woman, believe me. The hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Man, that just flies in the face of everything that the world had known at that time. Worship is no longer in Jerusalem. But he says in verse 22, you worship, you know not what. There is, a dif- there is a difference in ignorant worship and true worship. Well, this is how I believe we should worship. We worship in our mountain. Okay? I can preach, I don't have to go to church to worship. I can worship wherever I want to. There's some truth to that. But if you... If you Think scripturally, the Bible also says there's not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. There is a coming together for corporate worship biblically. Okay? So that, that won't fly. And the second thing is, you're going you're gonna to worship what you want to worship and really not worship the God of the Bible. That's, there, is a, there is an ignorant worship. And what Jesus is teaching here is everyone, everyone's worship is not going to get them to heaven. Not everybody lines up here. Well, I believe in God. Well, if you believe in God, then you must believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you are a sinner and needed of a Savior, that you are going to die and go to hell, that apart from that, without Jesus Christ, you are separated from God for all of eternity. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you can worship God in truth and in spirit. If you don't, if it's just your form of worship, you're worshiping God ignorantly. Jesus is saying, listen, there's... He says, if, you, if you'll just believe and listen to me, the time is coming. 
In this time when Jesus is saying, he's saying the time is coming, it's not going to be in the mountain and it's not going to be in the temple. It is going to be in the heart. It's going to be in the spirit of man who's going to worship God. The true worshipers shall worship in truth and in spirit. Are you saved today? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Then you ought to be motivated to worship the Lord. I see throughout church culture today That for people to so-called worship, it's dependent upon other factors other than just your relationship with God. Well, if they sing my type of songs, I would really like it. If they hit every note, if they... If they sang perfectly, well then, I would really love church. If it would end at a certain time. All of these external factors... Those things determine, can, can, I, can I say, let me, I got to say this. I'm just following the Lord. If you were more excited to be at church last Sunday than this Sunday, something is wrong with our heart. Because it's an external factor. Worship is in truth, according to the word of God, and it's got to be with the indwelling of the spirit of God. That's another message for another time. I don't have time to spend time in that. What, what do you have to have happen in your life to bring joy in your life? Again, ask the question, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you have a home reserved in heaven? Does the Spirit of God indwell you as a believer? You ought to be able to worship God in a dumpster. Worship him passionately. It's about me being reconciled to God. I have a relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves me and gave himself for me. My sins are forgiven. I have the opportunity to be here. Man. Ben gets to be in church today. Hello. 
Michael, what are we whining about? I'm sure if I gave Michael the microphone, he would say that in jail, he sees a lot of true, more true worship than he sees in churches sometimes. Not all the time. What is your motivation for worship? Well, does it have to be in this mountain? Does it have to be in this particular place at this particular time? Does it have to be this way? God's been too good to us. Lastly, as a result of this conversation that she had with Jesus, she witnessed boldly, verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She's heard about the Messiah. And Jesus says unto her, I speak, I that speak unto thee am he. He reveals himself to her. And upon this came his disciples. Really kind of a parenthetical statement here. They show up. They're marveling that Jesus is talking with a woman. No man said to Jesus, what seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her? We're often guilty of that. We like to whisper in the corner our thoughts. The woman, no doubt, she sees them coming. And so she leaves. And the woman then, in verse 28, left her water pot. The whole reason she had come, she left those things. She was so excited. She was so excited and overwhelmed by the love that was shown to her, by the message that was offered her, by the Christ who revealed himself to her. She was so overwhelmed and moved. She left her water pot. She went her way into the city. She forgot about what everybody might say about her. She forgot about her reputation. She forgot about the dirty looks, the ugly conversations, the whispers when she passed. Suddenly, none of those things mattered. She overcame herself and all the excuses that she had to offer. And she went from person to person in the city and just said, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the one that we've been waiting for, looking for? He knows everything there is about me. Now think about, just think about that. I got to be done. Think about that. He knows, Nate, he knows everything about you. And he still loves you. Everything. He knows everything. She says, come see a man. He knows everything about me. He told me everything that I've done. He knows me. And yet he loves me and he wants me. He desires me. Everybody else rejects me, curses me, mocks me, hates me. Everybody. But he wants me. If that don't cause you to worship, nothing will. He loves me. He cares about me. 
And that is all that she, that is all she knows about Jesus at this time. That is all she knows. And she says, listen, you've got to come, you've got to come meet this man. Glenn, you've got to come meet him. Because I have never felt what I feel right now. I have never known grace and love and compassion. I've never heard someone speak with me of the words that is willing to forgive me and loves me where I am. I've never heard that or experienced that before. As I've experienced that with Jesus Christ, you've got to come. You've got to come meet this man. I want to introduce you to Jesus. The reason that she is bold in her witness is not because she knows every scripture that pertains to the Romans road. Or she has everything theologically correct. She she begins with this. There's virtue there. That's where I started at this morning. She didn't wait for knowledge to come before it made a difference in her life. She began with faith and then virtue. And she takes what she does know and she wants to do something with it. She wants to impact others. She wants to show love toward every person who had mocked her and ridiculed her and condemned her. She forgot all of that and wanted to show them the same love that Jesus was offering to her. And so it should be said about every Christian who has ever come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. He knows everything. Come. You've got to experience what I've experienced. Right now, would most people who are outside of Christ, would they be convinced that what you have would change their life? What I have would change their life? I should have started right there. The Bible names her sin. And Jesus still loved her. And Jesus transformed her life. To the point that I, I, I imagine this. They're not talking about how many husbands she has any longer. Now they're probably getting aggravated about how much she's talking about Jesus. Is that not powerful and convicting? I believe, I believe this in my own life, and it's probably relaying through the message. I believe that God wants us to experience and display something much deeper than really what we know surfacely about Him. 
because if we have to have any other motivation to put joy in our heart other than what the Lord has done for us, I'm sorry, but I'm missing it. I'm making a mistake. I'm missing it. It's not you. It's not how many people are at church today. It's not how many people show up at prayer meeting. All of those things that I may use to affect my own spirit. Honestly, if I can't be excited every day about what God's done for me, I've missed it somewhere. I'm putting my joy on external factors. And that's what I'm wanting to relay to us this morning. I have made the excuse, I can't witness here, it's not the right time. I can't witness here, I don't know the right verse. I've made those excuses throughout the years. She didn't know anything. She didn't know anything except what Jesus did. That he loved her? Wow. Imagine, imagine the impact it will have on somebody's life if they just say, I'm here today because this person who invited me loves me. This person loves me. And this person is displaying something that I recognize I could really use in my own life. If God can do, if, if, if what she believes does that to her, I think I want to experience that. I think so much of our worship, so much of our, of our spiritual life is just surface level. We have learned, we have learned the face. And I know that God's calling me something much deeper than that. Our belief about the Bible, our form of Christianity is not changing the world. We should recognize that. I'm not only speaking about Somerville Baptist Church, I'm talking about the church at a whole. Let's bow our heads.